Hello there, true believers, and welcome to episode 71 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you on this January 28th, 2021. It is also the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, if you're counting. Also the Thursday after the third, Sunday after Epiphany, if you're not. Uh, I'm going to be getting into a bit of a shift of gears here, talking about WandaVision. Uh, first three episodes have dropped, and then uh, the next episode four is, eh, I can't do math right now, but say around five, six, seven, eight hours, I don't know, whenever it is, 3 a.m. Eastern Time, and I'm recording around 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Anyways, uh, yes, I'm going to be talking about WandaVision. I know this is more often a Star Wars podcast, but I have been known to delve into Marvel on occasion, um, especially, and going to comment on that, especially now that, again, those first three episodes have dropped. They serve as a bit of a first act. Um, I do have my water bottle. I am not going to be joined by R2-D2 because I guess he's in Marvel. I don't know. Is he in the Marvel Universe somewhere? Just as a cameo. Probably is in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. somewhere. Anyway, swig of water. Yep. <laughs> um, so first off, the pull list, though. I am going to delve into Star Wars a little bit there. Uh, I got uh, the Dr. Afra number seven, I believe. And I, I, I'm really appreciating this comic book. It's uh, gone back to her roots. And the thing, if you recall, with my the, the review of her audiobook I did last year, it veered off into uh, different territory. I know that was more of a, a retelling of the Vader comic story. But an Afra book is at its best when it's focused on Afra herself and she's exploring ancient lore <laughs> and ancient uh, ideas and thoughts and artifacts and... Um, this looks like it's going to be exploring that it is tied up into the story of the empire and corner of the corner of the empire that uh, we haven't seen much of the the tag family, um, not just Cassio tag, but or or Ronan tag as we saw in the first arc, but Domina tag who did come from legends. Um, so it's interesting in the way Afra continues to explore the weird, the unusual, both in the ancient past and in the current timeline after the Empire Strikes Back. It does give opportunity to talk more about High Republic. There is a bit of a cameo in, of High Republic in uh, that first arc, but I'll be excited to see where this goes. Yeah, Afro as a character has always been more intriguing anyways she's there's a reason why she's a fan favorite but when she's trying to relate the past to the present both her own story and the uh the ancient past it is interesting just thinking back to relating this to to the afro audio play Sanastaros has come back and that was my favorite part of the audio play was all the stuff with santa especially her in their past as, as students. So it'll be interesting to see them uh, 
figure it out, duke it out again, another chapter in, well, the saga of Afra's love life, but also the way that explores and reveals character. So off to another great start. Uh, it's into the second arc of that book. And again, back to the roots of what makes the, the Afra comic and Afra stories great. I do want to to note I've I've almost caught up on Kim's convenience. I may have mentioned that earlier, and for some reason, because maybe because I'm I'm hearing Kim's convenience so much, I'm really hearing Andrea Bang <laughs> from uh, Surrey BC's Andrea Bang, who plays Janet in Kim's Convenience. I'm really hearing her for some reason. Uh, very different character from Janet, but that same kind of spunky delivery out there. Uh, Willing to explore, again, move past the past, but also learning how to relate to it. And so, who knows? As, as that's a fan casting that I'm sending out into the universe. You have Paul Sun Hung Lee, Calgary and Trauma's Paul Sun Hung Lee in uh, as Carson Teva. Hopefully, he's going to have a prominent role in uh, the Rangers of the New Republic series. And segue coming up. Simu Liu as Shang-Chi in the next, not the next MCU film, but one that is slated to come out this year. So let's let Toronto take over Marvel, Canada take over Marvel. You know, that's okay. Take over, sorry, House of, not just Marvel, House of Mouse. Take over Disney. I am here for that. Okay, speaking of Marvel, I got Marvel on the brain, guys. I'm talking about WandaVision. And the reason I'm doing that is, I admit, I'm, bit of a slow read on Light of the Jedi, but this WandaVision series is, is bringing things up to talk about, both in terms of story structure and speculation, and also themes and mythos, and even a bit of theology, and here's a fancy word, hematology, theology of sin and evil. What's interesting, I mentioned at the top that the first three episodes have come out and it was good that they put those first two episodes on that first day, two Fridays ago, the last episode, the, the last moments of that episode, uh, turning into color to match the introduction of color television in the late sixties. As it goes along, uh, the, the, one of the conceits, storytelling conceits of this show is, is that it's going along uh, the decades in homage to sitcom history. And then in this last episode that came out this past Friday, the pieces are, are on the board now. There is clearly a sense that Wanda is in control of what happens and doesn't happen to some extent in this universe, that she, this bubble that she's created, maybe. What I'm getting at here, at least in terms of structure, is this very much feels like the end of the first act of a film. The first act is when all the pieces are put on the board, at least enough of the pieces that you need. That might, I mean, I might be wrong uh, about that coming up. We don't know who the big bad, but somebody's doing this to her. That's, that's keeping her, somebody's doing something to Wanda. But we also know that she's doing something to herself and possibly to the rest of this gang of folks who 
uh, in Westview who are they trapped? Are they programmed? We don't fully know what it really, where we really gotten to rather, I should say is the central question of the show has now finally been raised is, you know, what is happening? What is Wanda doing, responding to, or, or rather I should say, how is she responding? Cause this is the MCU. How is she responding to what has come before? And that's again, how the MCU works <laughs> in it, it perfected this art of continuity with, in Wanda's case, uh, the death of Pietro and the death of Vision. And now we, we're come to this point where Wanda clearly isn't handling that well. In fact, uh, when Pietro gets named by Monica Rambeau, who we have, of course, seen as a child before, when Pietro gets named... Uh, Wanda just has none of it and she kicks Monica out of this this bubble and just kicks her out and of course it's that beautiful moment at the end of this last episode where the screen finally opens up very dramatically slowly opens up to the uh, the full movie screen dimensions reminding us Oh, right, we're in the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, that this is meant to be connected to, intimately connected to that film universe. When it comes to Vision, uh, she's so unable to handle what Thanos ended up doing. Uh, she's so triggered by that and, and traumatized by that, that... She just creates the very reality that Thanos stole from her. And it's interesting that he did it by turning back time. Now, he turned back time by a few moments in Infinity War. She turns back time, at least culturally, by decades. And um, creates... Uh, I was, I was d discussing this with a, a friend of mine the other night, and... We were thinking, pointing out, uh, yeah, she, what she lost was a whole life with Vision. She dreamed of this. We see in Infinity War, they're starting to really come to a point of committing to it. It works. What works? Possibility of the two of them long term. Possibly she envisioned a, a, a home when everything with, with, the Captain America, Tony Civil War, that settled down. The Sokovia Accord stuff settles down. Envisions a family. Possibly kids. We don't know. That gets taken from her, ripped from her, as Thanos rips the Mind Stone out of Vision's head and kills him, destroys him. Uh, and uh, as she says later, you stole everything from me. So... It's clear to me Wanda is in a kind of denial. And, and not just a denial. It's funny the way trauma works is, from what I gather, and being triggered and just being stuck is 
you can be, know that you're stuck in a bad situation, in a wrong situation, in constructing this reality. But the feeling that you need it so much, you people cling to it so closely that they they even reject help and reject uh, people who are coming to them with the truth. And you know, I mean, I'm just thinking now. I mean, we have a sense of how to respond. This isn't exactly the same thing, but I think of patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. One of the things we're told to do is actually continue to go with it insofar as they aren't harming themselves or anyone else. Now, dementia and Alzheimer's, there, there's no getting out of that. There's no real need to in the same way. In a way that actually is their reality, um, that is just the brain pathways and what they're doing and the, the loss of, of brain or the blockage rather of brain pathways. With Wanda's trauma, I'm not so sure if it's the, the blockage of brain pathways or if the trauma just forces different ones to construct an internal reality in their own head. <laughs> and the problem with Wanda, of course, that we haven't seen in the MCU, but we saw in House of M, we saw uh, in the House of M comic, if you've read that, and we know her, her Marvel Universe history, is she's tied, at least, in, well, the MCU, but she's tied to the reality stone. We know that from the MCU, we know, but again, going back to the Marvel Universe comic history. She is a mutant who can create reality, actual reality. And that really, sort of, right? I mean, that, that really kind of presses this question that the show is, is actually pressing for us is in this show and in the MCU, what is real and what is really going on. And and so it's come to this end of this first act where that question is, we're still sitting with it, but the content of it as in who's doing this to Wanda and so how much, to what extent is she doing this for herself, to herself? Who's going to break her out of it? and lead her out of it. Um, I'm guessing not break her out of it is the wrong approach, come to think of it. Because Monica, again, the thing a friend and I were suspecting is, actually, if I'm pulling this out, or posited this, that Geraldine, quote-unquote, is just Monica trying to fit into the zeitgeist of whatever's going on, and has tries to pick her moment to confront Wanda with the truth and fails miserably because someone in that stage of grief at that depth of loss can't fully accept that truth. I'm wondering if this construct of vision that she's made is going to be the one to lead her out because she's recreated vision pretty much as he is the way he looks, the way he moves, the way he calculates, 
as Jarvis, Ultron, Tony, uh, Hulk, Mindstone, Banner, not Hulk. You know what I mean? The Mindstone, this commitment to goodness and truth and is able to express that emotionally and with compassion. We've seen, was it one occasion or maybe two occasions really where the, uh, where this vision construct played by Paul Bettany and we're meant to, we're meant to even relate to him as the vision. We've seen two instances in this last episode where he started to figure this out. And the first instance was when he's calculating the the gestation period and thinking about how nobody has really, yeah, what has it been? It might have been the episode before, uh, around that time. Anyway, how nobody has uh, noticed that they have these weird powers and what if he can just be at, out and about as Vision, not have to change his face and not have to worry about it. I mean, he, he grabs the doctor and just zooms over and the doctor thinks so he just ran. He starts to figure it out and then Wanda reverses that time. Again, similar sort of to what Thanos did. Not with the time stone, but with the reality stone. Because this is all a fictional construct, sort of. The second time we see this, though, is at the the hedge with with Agnes and Herb, and uh, he's unattended. Wanda isn't there, unattended. I kind of, <laughs> you know, using that in a, in a joking way, but he isn't under the sway of the person creating this reality at that moment. He might be able to be when he's his independent moments, figure this out and they speculate. He's actually going to set things in motion to, uh, to bring, bring about Wanda's ability to face the reality. I speculate that. And it's an interesting way of describing or, or depicting Wanda's own conscience and Wanda's own awareness of the truth. And it's not that vision, the real vision somehow gave it to her and she didn't have it before. She's the one who names it to the real vision. It works. And he's, when he's unable to, to name it, she's, able to recognize even uh, even Civil War, at least her perspective on the Sokovia Accords and how Clint and Steve need her to, to go out and fight for them. She's able to do that independently. So I'm not saying she relied on Vision for that, but she, part of, I think part of the thing that drew her to him, yeah, drew her to him, was this recognition of his ability to embrace the truth and the strength of a mind that can embrace the truth and encounter the truth as it is. And um, so that, in a way that 
that's herself in that moment seeking her salvation. That being said, this is uh, this is still the end of the first act, and the big question is, who's doing this to you? That there might be some deeper, more sinister force using her trauma, using this construct to bring about something even worse and even more terrible that could spread outside of the construct. And the best speculation will be Mephisto, who is sort of the devil character. And I admit I haven't read anything of Mephisto in, in the comics universe. But clearly, from what I can gather, some sort of sinister being who I also suspect, and this is going speculation from new rock stars and, and other sources wants these, these twins to be born. Now, what I'm just thinking about now is in house of M Wanda's uh, trauma induced grief induced changing recreation of reality extends throughout the whole world. And in it, she has these two twins. Um, they're of course mutants. And in what house of M is, is it's house of Magneto. Her father is the, the ruler of this world that she's created that is now primarily mutant. And there's some muggle humans going around. Tony Stark is a, a great muggle. Carol Danvers, interestingly enough, is a mutant who takes the, who takes the mantle Captain Marvel. She only uses Miss Marvel at that point. That's a bit of an aside, but you know, it, it raises kind of actually a similar question to uh, what, you know, the, uh, not, not Slytherin, but, the Milfoys and Malfoys and all those guys that well and uh, Voldemort really want to do is have you know elevate wizards slash mutants and denigrate muggles slash humans. <laughs> and I don't know fully again what Mephisto's aims are, but clearly there's something evil going on that is wider again than what Wanda is doing and on about and cares about because Wanda again, Wanda just wants to have her, her home family with vision that was again, taken away from her in and of itself. It isn't wrong to want that. What this series is starting to bring about this, at least the speculation is starting to bring up is the relationship between, at least in Christian terms, we call personal sin and structural sin, personal evil and structural evil. And uh, that relationship, we, we start to we start to get that relationship a little better, and then we started to lose it uh, in in Western Christianity as the two sides of the culture war set in. And people 
tended to either go in this direction of saying, let's double down on society as fine as it is. All of our talk of sin needs to be simply on personal evil, giving into fear, giving into greed and selfishness and pride and, uh, you know, and, and glutton sloth, the seven deadly things, you know, um, those are simply a matter of personal private relationships. And, you know, and we see that a little bit with Wanda. She's completely given over in this, and trauma I get is complicated and grief is complicated here, but she's, she's trapped in this uh, holding on to loss, holding on to this unreality and, and the effect we see on the other villagers clearly that's an interesting moment in in this last episode is uh, we see the doctor and we see even agnes and herb really just behind their eyes the performances of these were great Uh, these moments were great just behind their eyes there's a hint that they're actually aware that they're being trapped in wanda's Wanda's fiction create creation and they just want to go back to their own lives. I think Agnes is a little different. Was it Ralph? That whatever his name is, that could be Mephisto, but she too could be trapped. Anyway, what this effect on these villagers, rest of these villagers in Westview suggests or, or implies is that the distinction between personal sin and structural collective sin is not a neat division or distinction. The two fit together, work together, conspire together. (laughs) The reason for that and the reason for anything to do with evil is the Christian, Western Christian conviction. It's an Eastern Christian conviction too. But Augustine was himself very clear that evil is merely a privation on the good. And by that I mean evil is just a distortion. It can only exist by, um, uh, what's the word, Para- being a parasite on something that is actually good and meant to exist. Right. So I'll, I'll back up and say, what do I mean by structural evil? I do mean injustice, social injustice, oppression, systems of uh, you know, market exploitation systems that both the wealthy and the poor alike get caught up in racism, homophobia, misogyny, rape culture. All these things, just thinking about them now, uh, including, yeah, well, including economic systems and um, supply systems, supply and demand and food production systems and all these systems, uh, their evil cannot be extricated from evil of destructive personal relationships because, you know, where, where does, you know, the, the impact of my personal destructiveness, uh, where, where does the, the sphere of my, those personal relationships and and it becomes a matter of wider society because we're all interconnected. 
and my friends know other people's friends and we're all just the six degrees of separation. And so what we see with Wanda and Mephisto is the, the cooperation between really, I mean, the devil and our fear. <laughs> and you know, we, we shy away from devil language because it's been abused. It's been, uh, used in, I should say, rather demonic ways. And by that, I mean, it's being used to reinforce these systems and structures that oppress and keep people stuck in, in way, in, in practices and actions and relationships that are harmful. Why does that inextricable connection between personal and structural evil exist? Again, it's a privation on the good. It exists because our, uh, you know, because there's an inextricable connection between personal healthy relationships and a healthy society that if I see in my neighbor, uh, you know, across the street in my social groups, my fandom groups, my friends, I see their humanity and I see the humanity of farmers in India struggling for, for justice and all the, the, the families of the 400,000 Americans who died of COVID this year and all the Canadians who died of COVID, you know, um, if I see their dignity, I'm going to want to work equally for uh, relationships of compassion and hope and wholeness and a society that promotes health and wholeness and, and, you know, what the thing, the drumbeat I'm being bringing up, right? Uh, am I going to divide personally and socially? Or am I going to unite personally and socially? Now, they might look different in different contexts, in different ways. Right? You know, me sitting and listening to someone, listening to a friend, and me, you know, voting and reading an article and uh, I don't know, uh, posting something on, on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> um, those things can look different. But there is the similar end of pursuing our common humanity. And a part of that means learning to engage the truth. The truth in front of us, of our social relationships, the truth of our society, the truth of our complicity in evil, in rape culture. I mean, that, that's a very clear one. You know, the way I treat my female friends and the way I go about and understand uh, the power dynamics in society between men and women, I mean, the two are intimately connected, right? If I am... You know, and I, I, you know, maybe six, seven years ago, I admit I used to be this guy where I'd say, oh yeah, men and women are 
equal, uh, you know, I, you want to call me a feminist, great, woohoo. I'm woke, but then not respecting the boundaries and, and wishes of my female friends, right? That's called hypocrisy. <laughs> I've got to do both. And therefore, I'm contributing to the well-being of my sibling, my human sibling, <laughs> and contributing to a society that in which all women are safe and supported and strengthened. So that's what the that's what this is brought up. Again, it's as by way of privation, right? <laughs> uh, by way of showing teasing with one division, teasing the possibility that this may not be the case. I mean, not so much with rape culture, but, um, well, you know, a little bit. I mean, in terms of, it's interesting the way, uh, the doctor has to say, oh, we, uh, you know, giving into the tropes of 70s era television and assumptions that men had about female intelligence at the time. Um, yeah, and another thing my friend pointed out that, using the fruit metaphor to understand how big a baby is. That was for the dudes who, those of us who will never carry a baby <laughs> in, our, in our, in our bodies. Um, and not, not just dudes. I should be careful there. Uh, again, another example, right? You know, my respecting my, my trans friend <laughs> and, uh, creating society and a culture and, and contributing to one in which people can see the truth of, of who they are and their gender. Again, anyway, I, I hope that corrective was helpful. But anyways, uh, WandaVision is, is bringing these things up, I think, quite intentionally, as, as Marvel always has I do appreciate, interestingly, that there isn't really much action in the show, which is, at least right now, for now, which is a refreshing change. I didn't mind, I don't mind uh, the action sequences and the, I mean, the big battle in Endgame is apocalyptic, quite literally apocalyptic in scope. Um, but it's also nice. I mean, I'm watching also watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Speaking of MCU shows and this that may or may not count. Um, and, and there's a lot of action in that. And it's fun. But uh, WandaVision is, is very smart and very subtle in its, what it's really saying and what it's really doing in the MCU. So I, I very much appreciate that. So with that, I think I'm going to call it an episode of... For Christ's sake, Anakin. Yes, we will still have the Star Wars intro-outro, as you heard and as you will hear. If you like this episode, feel free to give me a like, give me a follow, give me a, subscri a subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter at NEUG485, and on Instagram at MNEUG1138. Thanks for watching. Yes, may the Force be with you, always. Always.